Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everybody, Ben. Not just the human listeners. Come on, man. we got to love those bots, too. Greetings hopefully. to bots and dolphin listeners as well. Yes. Uh, in case you didn't know, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists who serve not just humans, but bots, as I clearly stated in our introduction. It's mostly bots. <laughs> I hope it's not bots, bots, because we do get some feedback, which is nice. We're future-proofing the podcast so that it, when the AI um, singularity eventually takes over all forms of self-expression, we're going to be ahead of that wave. That's true. And you know what? I think before we get to autonomous driving, we have to get to autonomous listening as well. And I think that's the most important part about uh, about that technology. But Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. Uh, we have some really cool cars to talk about. And um, Ben, I think I'm going to take it away. I think I'm going to steal a spotlight from you in a moment right now. Because I was in Spain driving the brand new Audi R8. Now, Ben, what do you know about Audis? Do they not have R8s in North America, Sammy? Why did you have to go all the way to Spain? <laughs> well, actually, the R8s that I drove are limited production. They're one of 999. Well, I drove one of 999 that are being made. And the reason that these are so special and the reason I asked you about uh, about what you know about Audis is um, I was wondering if you knew any Audis especially modern ones, the R8, that didn't have all-wheel drive because this one in particular has uh, rear-wheel drive. Well, there are a bunch of front-wheel drive Audis, aren't there? Like, can't you still get a front-wheel drive A4? I'm not sure if that's still a thing. In fact, I've never actually seen somebody with a a front-wheel drive A4. They're not super popular in Canada, but in the States, they were a thing for quite a while. Um, Okay, well... Front-wheel drive is one thing, but rear-wheel drive, my friend, that's a whole other game, right? Well, why would I want a rear-wheel drive R8? Like, isn't the whole thing about the R8 that it's all-wheel drive, and so it kind of makes it really, really friendly as a as a vehicle that you want to drive quickly? Like, it's not a vehicle that you have to worry about getting out of shape in because it has that all-wheel drive grip? Isn't isn't that's... that isn't Quattro supposed to be the best thing in the world? Is basically what I'm getting at. Isn't that the marketing message for Audi? That is exactly the marketing message from Audi. But you know what else is really good? Customers. And apparently customers have demanded, no, just asked for the R8 to come in a rear-wheel drive form. Okay, okay. First of all, how many R8s are sold in a given year? Um, some. some. Some of them. And so a small, small number of people <laughs> buying an already very good car asked for a very different version of that car. That would yeah, sell apparently. in even smaller numbers. Apparently. And Look, Audi was like, them. you know what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Audi likes surfing the people, apparently. Um, so this is, I honestly, I asked them a bunch of times. I'm trying to figure out why they have to do it this way. Um, as far as I understand, there's uh, there's racing series. The GT uh, LMS GT4 race cars are rear-wheel drive as well. And these things are rear-wheel drive. These, these production cars are rear-wheel drive as well. Um, although they don't actually have to sell a certain number of rear-wheel drive versions of the R8 in order to, to race with it, which is weird. Um, they just said that their customers had had some criticisms, or or they had heard some criticisms and some uh, thoughts about going rear-wheel drive, and they delivered it. Uh, basically, what you said, the R8 uh, with all-wheel drive is known to be a very friendly, safe, um, everyday car that you can use, and even in inclement weather. And... The drawback, the compromise, is that you have a vehicle that isn't quite engaging all the time. 
Ben? I'm sorry, was that a question? You can't just add an upward inflection at the end of a sentence and, and have it be a question. I see. Okay. Um, so that was one of the major concerns that people had, is that they were thinking that perhaps the uh, R8 was not as engaging as it could be. And now by removing that uh, that front-wheel uh, axle, or at least the, the power to the front wheels, and now making it a strictly rear-wheel drive model, they think they've uh, they've made it a little bit more lively and fun to drive, more so than the all-wheel drive model. So does, does it weigh less? Like, you just mentioned removing power to the front axles, but does that mean, like, what does that mean? Does it mean a drive shaft's gone? Does that mean the differential up front is gone? Like, how, how does it work? So... It's a compl- it's a it's a whole different uh, powertrain as far as I understand. This car go- sends all of its power to the rear wheels, directly to the rear wheels from that mid-engined uh, 5.2 liter V10. Um, yeah, so there's no front um, differential any, uh, as far as I understand. And and is this so? You said it's a different di- drivetrain. Is the drivetrain like lifted from the race car? Um, I couldn't confirm that. I didn't confirm that. Um, like, I don't mean far... necessarily the engine. Obviously, it's a, it's a production engine. But I was mm-hmm. wondering if the other parts, like the, the way that the transmission or uh, the axles themselves or the configuration of the powertrain, if that was lifted from their race program. I I, I don't know. I really don't. Um, they they haven't said anything. And I would imagine that that's not the case. I um, I think these these cars have to be different. Uh, the, the GT4 race car is quite... Uh, is is robust. It's made for for a specific application. The road car is not a race car. So, but you did ask a really important question. They, it does lose a lot of weight um, in the, in the process of going rear wheel drive. Well, maybe not a lot. Um, about a hundred and ten pounds on the coupe, and you can get this car as a spider. And in that case, it used, it loses about eighty eight pounds. So 110 pounds, and the car weighs around, what, 3,200, 3,300 as it is? As I recall, it's not a super heavy car. It's not a super heavy car. Let me, I had the numbers, just give me one quick second uh, to pull them up to make sure that um, I get you the right ones. Yeah, 3,500 pounds. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of curious, does losing 110 pounds make up for the lack of traction that you're going to experience with all that power being dumped to the rear wheels? Is it just as quick in a straight line as the Quattro version, or is it a little bit no. faster? Or what, what's the deal? Or is it's it not, is it even slower? It's slower in a straight line. It's okay. in, a, in, in that drag in that drag format, like just from a stoplight to a, or, or stop from launch control. Let's say it's actually slower. It'll do zero to sixty uh, zero to sixty two in three point seven seconds, while the other car d- can do it up to three point three depending on the very well, that's a huge of, difference that's almost a half i think second. that's the that might be the six uh the, the v10 plus um that can do it in that that quick okay. so i think the regular one is maybe one uh point one of a second one one tenth of a second faster okay um, so, so so not a huge difference but it is slower and um i, I i'm kind of racking my brain why why are people wanting this like why why does someone want to buy this car it's a slower version of the of the r8 Right. That's what it is. <laughs> it's a slower. It's also a more exclusive version. I mean, this this is going to be this could be rare. It could be a collector's uh, vehicle. It, because not many people are going to buy it because it's slower. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I honestly, first of all, a car that does zero to 60 in three in just over three and a half seconds. That's not slow. That can't be slow in any possible. No, no, no. But what we're talking or, about comparatively, like not in a world of absolutes, but like compared to the other car that's in the showroom that looks exactly like it. <laughs> And and is in fact exactly like it, except for this detail that it's rear wheel drive. Mm-hmm. You're being asked to buy a slower version of the car. So what is the compelling reason 
Because as they well, here's here's the thing. They said they wanted to make it more engaging. I actually do think they they've managed that um, in a very in a very interesting way. Um, I think by losing some of the weight, especially I think up front, the car has become a little bit livelier to drive. The the reaction speed, you know, there there's a little bit of a of a, a loop, a feedback loop when you drive a car. You you hit the brakes, you uh, turn the wheel, and then the car kind of has to react to those two motions. Uh, altogether, and I find that this car seems to be a little bit sharper with the with the way that it changes um, direction on that front wheel. And um, did they give you the chance to drive them back to back against each other? Like, did they have Quattro versions there and no, rear wheel drive they, they really didn't, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, already, they they've uh, missed. They they did not let me compare the two, so I'm gonna have to get some some comparisons later on this year. Um, but uh, I will admit, uh, we had a lot of fun and I will say we had it in the exact type of temperature and weather that would actually be ideal for a Quattro version of the car. This, uh, it was raining, it was pouring, um, and it was under about 10 degrees Celsius. Our cars were actually running on winter tires, which is kind of interesting. Um, we drove them all through the hills of Spain and, uh, in some of the higher altitude areas, there was some snow. And so you might be wondering, like, how was the car in those situations? And I'll tell you, the car was really well composed. It was um, enjoyable. The car still talks. Actually, I feel like it talks to you throughout the whole chassis. Um, I feel like unlike most cars with electric power steering, you don't like you don't feel anything in that steering wheel. But uh, and this car does have much of that same issue. But you feel what's happening around you, especially um, with the suspension being as as stiff as it is. Uh, and they have modified the suspension, the front and rear suspension for this rear wheel drive model of the car. And it feels far more engaging and talkative than I remember the R8 um, all wheel drive model ever being. Well, you know, it's it's interesting they had you on winter tires because that's going to dramatically change your experience behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Especially, I'm, I'm going to take a stab. Were these Pirelli winter tires? Yeah. Were they the, uh, what do they call them, Sato Zeros? I can't remember the, the the name of them, but I'm imagining that's exactly what they were because... Did you drive uh, on snow at any point? No. Okay, because those tires are garbage. Uh, they're they're decent, I guess, on bare pavement, but I found on snow, they're just terrible. Some of the well, worst winter tires I've ever driven. We didn't drive on any in any snow or ice. Uh, it was just mainly wet, and we actually did get a, a an air uh, an airport landing strip to ourselves. We were on a military base to to test out Audi's new ESC Sport system, which will let which will let you drive the car um, aggressively, let you slide the car and will also bring things back in a more controllable way so you can have uh, i mean it's not drift mode but it's more it's more like um it's a longer leash that's for sure can you still turn it off completely if you want to uh yes okay and so you know um how much does this cost like if i'm buying the car and i'm getting less Am I also paying? I, I I want to quantify what I'm saying by I'll quantify what I'm saying by getting less after you tell me the price. But do, do you pay more or less for not getting Quattro? Okay, so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna have to change things up a little bit. Um, usually I give you pricing in U.S. dollars. This is um, this I this event I went with Audi Canada and they gave me the pricing in Canadian dollars, uh, and they also gave me the allocation of the car. There's 60 of them coming to Canada. They they haven't all been sold yet, which kind of bugs me a little bit. And they're actually going for cheaper than the regular coupe, 163 thousand um, dollars, which is 22 thousand dollars less than the all-wheel drive model. 22 thousand bucks, man. 
Yeah, uh, the, I, the Canadian pricing on these cars is much higher than it is in the U.S., correct? Right, yeah. So I wonder if the, the price differential in the U.S. will be similarly... Sm- I don't think it'll be as, as big. I don't right? think it'll be 22000 but I can no. imagine it being more than ten and under tw- and just under twenty. I suppose. So, so the reason I'm asking is because uh, I really like the R8. Uh, I think it's a very, very easy-to-drive car, and I don't just mean when you're driving quickly... I mean, like, every day. It's a car that is very comfortable. It's really not difficult to deal with. It's not super low to the ground. You know, like, some... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This car is easy to drive in, in, in really, in, like I said, like, weird places that normal supercars can't go, like, with speed bumps and, and, and yeah, parking and, ramps, and right? Yeah, and this car shares this platform with the Lamborghini Huracan, and the Huracan mm-hmm. has a system to lift up the front end because the front end is very low and speed bumps mm-hmm. and curbs catch it, but the, the R8 does not have that system. And, and doesn't it doesn't need it. It doesn't need like. it. Yeah. So, you know, honestly, if I had to pick between those two cars... I, let alone the price discount you get for going with the Audi. It, mm-hmm. The R8 is just so much more responsible as a choice. It's it's kind of mm-hmm. like the Corvette of all-wheel drive supercars in that <laughs> in that not in, in not that it's common, but in that y- y- there's no penalty for driving it every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have a very small cargo area, but other than that, there's really not a problem with it, and that's that's rare in this world. Uh, it's just. When you start talking about removing the all-wheel drive system that would let you drive it year-round if you're worried about traction in snow or, or in the wet weather that you were talking about, mm-hmm. that's when I start I start to see the value of the car kind of diminish a bit because I feel like I feel like you're taking away the trademark for Audi, like the reason right. people buy Audis, and then they're like, I I know again Lamborghini with the same platform, it's the Performante, right? Like that's the model that's real. Uh, no, the five the five. 70-2, I think Okay, yeah, so they, they took horsepower away from the Lamborghini because they were worried that people who... <clears throat> what I'm saying is they made a rear-wheel drive version of the Huracan as well. It has less power, and that makes a little more sense to me because Lamborghini is not necessarily as associated with all-wheel drive as Audi is. So I, I just don't know if it makes the same amount of sense for the R8. <coughs> um, I... I'm telling you. I mean, I was worried about it as well, especially when I saw those the 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 when the conditions we were driving in. It was uh, it was kind of it was kind of rough. I mean, why would I be driving a, a rear wheel drive mid engine car like this in in this weather in this wind in this really uh, wet and cold weather? But the end result was that the car was still enjoyable to drive. It was a blast to drive. And when we had the space to to goof around with it on that track, on that um, on that airfield, we could really we could have some fun sliding it around. And you and I both agree that you know when you do have that space to to drift a car and to slide it and to do donuts or whatever you whatever you want, which is something you can do definitively better in a in a rear wheel drive car than a well, drive car. I don't know. I think it's just a question of where the limits are. Mm-hmm. I think in a rear-wheel drive car, the limits are lower, and it's easier to get the car out of shape. But I think in an all-wheel drive car, you can drift it and pirouette it and do everything just as easily. Mm. Um, it's just the limits are higher, and you typically need more speed to to access them. Okay. So, like, I, I, I still stand by what I'm saying. The car is uh, is still accessible. It's still accessible speed and accessible fun, uh, and even more so now that you're you're making it ch- cheaper. Easier to get that if you want to put it that way. Easier to get that um, that goofiness. Easier to wreck it is what you're saying. If you want to <laughs> yes. wreck it, if you want to wreck your R8, this is the one to buy. 
I mean, if you do drive it irresponsibly anyway, but yeah, you, you can get away with which that. Is, but you which know is what? what you're saying is the entire reason why anyone should buy this version of the R8 I is d- to drive not, it irresponsibly. I didn't say that. I said that it's still it's actually really fun to, to drive. And it's a little bit more engaging. The car just feels sharper in certain areas, um, specifically with the, the steering, the suspension. The feedback is there in, that, in the suspension, the chassis that was not there when I had the all-wheel drive model. Um, I also have to add, I mean, I feel like I haven't talked about the car's, like, selling points here. You you said exactly what I think most people should hear. The car is easy to live with and drive. Um, I didn't find it understeering or oversteering on the road, and we drove it through some pretty impressive um, uh, canyons and mountain passes. It was a blast to drive through all of that. Um, and, man, that engine, that 5.2-liter naturally aspirated V10 engine, they don't make engines like that anymore, man. Like, it's hard to find a, a naturally aspirated engine that makes over 500 horsepower. Um, it is just a blast. So which one would you buy? I think I'd take this this rear-wheel drive model. Really? Yeah, man. Wow. I'm surprised. I uh, I was, too. I thought that when it comes to Audi, Quattro is the brand name that goes with it, and you just can't get one without the other. And you know what? A lot of people thought that way about the Subaru and the BRZ. You can't get an all-wheel drive Subaru. Or you can't get a rear-wheel drive Subaru. That makes no sense. But Audi and Subaru, in that case, really show that they know what it takes to make a sports car, a sporting car, fun to drive. And uh, and I really, I really think this is interesting. What makes it more interesting is you might remember that the brand that Audi would associate their RS and the R8 with used to be called Quattro. Do you remember that? Yeah. Now it's no longer called that. It's called Audi Sport. And the main reason they said is so that they can do stuff like this without people really losing their their like getting confused about things. Well, also they wanted to put Quattro on absolutely everything, which is what they did. <laughs> they did, and now they have <laughs> done that, and now they can remove it, and now. That's what we. That's what we're ending up with. But uh, you know, you mentioned the BRZ. I don't know if that's the best example because while it's a very good car, no one's buying it. That's true. I think. I think maybe more people are buying a BRZ than a, an R8. But it is like one t- one quarter, a fraction of the price. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, like Subaru stepped outside of its brand identity, and it wasn't positive for them. Like it's not. It's not I'm like. I'm not sure about that. I the car was not like, embraced. I think there's quite a few people who do love their their BRZs, and I don't think that Subaru fans have shunned them. Well, I, I think, think that I think that people that car really wanted them and and were really happy with what happened. Yeah, I think people who own them like them, but I don't think yeah. that when people think Subaru, they still think WRX. That's right. I mean, they I don't think BRZ. Think. It's not it's not an emblem emblem emblematic car for them. Yeah. That's the. I mean, that's the thing about the R8. The R8 is an iconic vehicle within the Audi lineup. It's a halo yeah. car. And they're and messing this, with this, it. No, they're still <laughs> selling the all-wheel drive model. Um, so that's still good for them. They can handle that. But it's an, it's alternative. It's another it's another uh, weapon in their arsenal against um, some other supercars. Or so very, what do you think the percentage is going to be? Like ten? I don't know. I mean, I I imagine they'll sell all 999 that they make globally. 60 of them are coming to Canada. That's what weirded me out the most is that um, they told me that of those 60, they haven't all been sold yet. Um, But of course, then again, Canada isn't a whole other market. And probably most people here want a car with all wheel drive if it has it. I would think so. I I would think especially for Audi that this is going to be a hard sell in Canada. Yeah. So I can see it being a bigger a bigger draw in other markets for sure. Um, I loved it, man. And a lot of people brought up the the Lamborghini. 
I don't know what that mean. I don't really know what that um, that conversation topic really like matters at this point. A Lamborghini is more expensive. It's, the cars it's, still competing against each other. That's that's yeah. A lot of well, it's not only that, but like people say that the Lamborghini did it better. And well, what does that really even what, mean? It's like I don't know what that means, right? Like <laughs> that's like saying uh, like you you hook a trailer up to the R8 and you're like, well, the F150 did it better. I mean, I know the platforms are the same, but the pricing is so different. The pricing is different. The the, the demographic is wild is is much different. I mean, Audis have a very a very sophisticated air about them that a Lamborghini does not have. A Lamborghini is is very shouty. It's very ostentatious. And even if a supercar like the Audi exists, a mid-engine supercar which looks wild too looks like a spaceship does not look as uh obnoxious as say a lamborghini would would you agree with me on that yeah no i think it's i completely agree with you about the aesthetics that's 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 the, a definite um i would totally pick one of these up i absolutely love um as well the interior uh, you, you mentioned it one of the things that's tough to get used to is the uh infotainment system which is the audi virtual cockpit and there's no central like screen so everything happens in front of the the driver so that can get a little distracting when you need to do some more um romantic no more (laughs) involving uh inputs to the to the the system so tell me about your involving system inputs trying to change certain displays while you're on a navigation course you're worried that you might lose um that navigation and, and a very important direction change or instruction in the earth like an up down direction or a like a, a gentle tapping motion, <laughs> something like like that, right? Like yeah, that's what you mean. I don't know. What, what if the passenger about. wants to change radio stations? Yeah, that's the that's, that's the biggest problem with virtual cockpit. It cannot happen. Um, that's the number one thing that can't happen. I'm um, I'm also really weirded out about this. When you get a limited production car, there's usually a plaque in the car that tells you what. Ben, can you answer that question for me? It tells you whether Carol Shelby signed your car or not. No. I hate you so much. I'm never asking you a question again. <laughs> That's what the plaque's for. <laughs> uh, okay, a limited production car, especially a limited run version like this. Uh, typically, uh, there's a serial number that says your car is number X of this many. That sounds familiar, right? Yeah, sure. I'll agree for the sake of this podcast. I hate <laughs> Again, I'm not asking you any more questions. Um, the Audi doesn't do that. Despite there being 999 models, each one says one of 999. Well, that'll make it annoying in 30 years at the, uh, <laughs> at, the at the auction block down in Scottsdale. It's definitely one of 999. Which one? We're not quite sure. Ah, well. Well, are you sure you weren't just driving, like, media cars that had... Like, that's the other thing. So, if there's 999, then whichever ones you were driving are no longer new. That's right. Not, so that's, those ones are going to be sold as a used right away, or like, how does that work? I'm I've never quite asked. Maybe we should uh, we should contact our friends at Audi and figure out what they're doing with them. And maybe they have I have it wrong. I mean, maybe they don't all say one of nine ninety nine, but all the ones we saw said one of nine nine nine, and uh, and that's I don't know. It's just so strange. Um, I also thought it was funny. The number. Why do they have nine hundred ninety nine of these things? Why can't it just be an, an always available sort of feature? Um, well, I mean, it, I guess it stokes interest. Hmm. Okay, I guess so. Um, and also, you know what would stoke more interest? If Carol Shelby signed. Model? No, if Carol oh. Shelby signed the dashboard. <laughs> How about this, Ben? What if they gave it the 610 horsepower? Would no, that no, be no, no, reasonable? No. no, because remember what happened with Lamborghini? They had to give you less horsepower because it's rear wheel drive. Yeah. 
I'm not going to give you more power, charge you less, and take away a set of drive wheels. <laughs> what kind of weird world do you live in where that's something an automaker's going to do? Why not? I mean, it is also interesting to point out that when uh, Porsche t- gives you less features and says they're making the car lighter, they usually charge you more for that. Yeah, but that's Porsche. Like, Audi can't <laughs> verge onto that part of the Volkswagen empire. And well, something... They can't just steal their idea and be like, hey, I see you're making a lot of money on these. Yeah, sooner cars. or later, you're going to see Porsche beehives, too. Like, then it's it's an we escalating... Already, didn't we already see the Porsche honeybees? Oh, you're right. You're honey... right. So, so there is a little bit of cross-pollination going on between <laughs> Porsche and Audi. So maybe it is possible. I take it back. Okay, so anyways, I mean, I'll, I'll end it off by saying it is interesting to see Audi doing something that they're not used to doing, or, or we're not used to seeing, which is them deli- delivering a rear-wheel drive version of their their Quattro, their four-wheel drive supercar. But it works out, it's cheaper, and um, I think it ends up being a pretty reasonable buy if you do live in places that have really nice warm weather all the time. But Ben, you drove something that also might be a little um, off the beaten path for the automaker, or at least the brand image of the automaker. I don't know uh, if it's off the beaten path. I mean, it's not as exotic as, as going to Spain and driving rear-wheel drive versions of four-wheel drive supercars. Well, you drove a fast version of a, of a boring luxury car. Whoa, boring? Well, a boring luxury automaker. Whoa, boring luxury automaker. What do you have against Buick, Sammy? So, Hasn't Buick been good to you? I just want to just answer me. Has Buick been good to you? Um, yeah, I guess so. What um, does that mean? Are you in Buick's pocket? No, but what I'm trying to say is, when I think when most people think of Buicks, they they think of a stuffy old brand with boring cars that nobody really wants. I don't um, know if that's true anymore. I think that might have been true ten years ago, but is that still the image, really? I think that's still an, a brand image that they're trying to fight off, and they've been doing a really good job of it over the past two years. And I think the car that you drove has a lot to do with it. No, I think they've been doing it for longer than two years. No, just two years. <laughs> so I, I drove the um, the 2018 version of the Buick Regal GS, and the GS has been around a long time. Well, maybe not a long time, but long enough. Uh, and it's one of those Buicks that they imported from Opel, mm-hmm. which used to be a GM subsidiary, but is no longer. It was sold to, I think, Renault. No, Peugeot. Peugeot? Yeah. Okay. So Peugeot bought basically all of Opel and all of Opel's manufacturing plants. So all of that to say, we don't know how much longer the Regal's going to be built because Buick would have to find a plant either in North America or China or somewhere if uh, Peugeot decides they want the facilities for their own vehicles. So that's kind of an interesting side issue to do to associated with all versions of the Regal. But uh, in particular, the Regal GS, um, it used to be, I used to think it was one of the best-looking four-door sedans in the GM portfolio, and it had a two-liter turbocharged engine. You could get all-wheel drive. You used to be able to get a six-speed manual, and it used to have a whole lot of power. In the last few years, they kind of backed off on the power, and they gave every version of the Regal the same, like, 259 yeah. horsepower, I think it was, 258. But... Uh, the, the Regal always had a, an adaptive suspension system. It always had a little button on the on the console, the GS button, that let you access the, the stiffest settings and the most aggressive steering and all that stuff. And it was generally a very fun car to drive. So all of this to say, flash forward to 2018, and the Regal is very, very different than it used to be, especially when you start looking at its relationship to other Regals. Uh, because- oh, hold on. Before we get talking about your GS... The way you painted the Regal GS was really broad. Yes, you could have gotten it with all-wheel drive, and yes, you could have gotten it with a six-speed, 
but you couldn't have gotten the two at the same time. You had to get a front-wheel drive six-speed model, and the last one, I think, was an all-wheel drive model. Yeah, that, I don't like, think that's very... Power in the, that lost power in the process. Why are now you it's... crucifying me for this? Now I don't think it was that broad. It, that is broad. I mean, well, it, I didn't it, know this was the podcast about the history of the Buick Regal GS. <laughs> I thought... <laughs> I, let me, I'm not trying... What sorry, colors not, could I'm you get, Sam? I'm not attacking you on this. What well, colors could you get, Sammy? Ben, Did I not mention ben, the right colors? Ben, let, just give me a second here. <laughs> the old GS, the outgoing GS, um, is only marginally more powerful than the current turbocharged version of the of the regular regal sportback which i think is really interesting so now they've kind of lost that 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 punch that it used to have now no they, they lost that back. punch four years ago when every version of the regal got the two liter engine it's with the same amount of power so it was really interesting in that case so what makes a gs a gs so i want to hear what makes this new buick gs so so awesome right have they what have they done here, man? Well, I'm not saying it's so awesome, but I am saying it's very different because whereas before the GS had the same two-liter engine, which I feel like I'm saying for the third time, um, now it has a 3.6-liter V6. So that's kind of escalating the arms race a little bit. That's good. That's changed. So like every other Buick, I believe, every other Regal tops out at around 250 horsepower from a two-liter turbo. Mm-hmm. The GS comes with 310 horsepower and 282 pound-feet of torque. Now, that's a little bit less torque than the turbo. The turbo makes 295 pound-feet. Okay, yeah. But you're not really going to notice because the power bands are also very different. I mean, this is a large displacement V6, so when you step on the gas, you get power right away. You don't have to wait Mm -hmm. for turbos to spool. You don't have to wait for a sweet spot. And the engine revs to a point where, you know, even in the higher revs, you have decent power. It's not not like a turbo kind of mentality for, for the drivetrain tuning. It also comes with a new 9-speed automatic, which it's never had before. You can't get the manual anymore, but no one was buying the manual anyway, so that doesn't matter. Okay. And it's actually, I think, I don't know if it's faster or not. I think it might be a little bit faster to 60. But uh, what's interesting about the car is it uses the same platform as the as the LaCrosse. It's Wait, a little bit, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. All Regals are built on, the. it's a small, shorter version of the LaCrosse platform. So the weights are very, very similar. I think the current Regal is something like 13 inches shorter um, than than the LaCrosse, but it is three inches longer than the previous Regal. Throw in the fact that it's a Sportback, which is the fancy term for hatchback when you're a luxury company and you don't want it, you don't want to include hatchback in the marketing materials. Mm-hmm. And you have a pretty big, pretty comfortable mid-sized car that's also really quick. Okay. Um, there's a lot to there's a lot to uh, unpack from from that uh, from that rundown. First of all, it's amazing that there's still naturally aspirated V6s out there in sports vehicles. Most people um, get used to turbos, especially that that uh, low end torque that uh, and grunt that a turbo provides. Tell me what it's like to, in this V6 because I usually like the GM V6s. Um, it's a shame that they're not in more vehicle in more cars. Am I wrong? It actually feels pretty good the V6 and it <laughs> sounds decent too. I had power pretty much whenever I wanted. To have the power, we were driving in the northern part of Georgia, which is kind of, I guess, at the bottom of where the Appalachian Mountain range starts mm-hmm. or, or is located. And it was fairly hilly, and the car performed admirably both on the highway. I mean, I was up past 100 miles an hour very quickly, and, I, and the car never really felt like it was working or like it was worried about how fast you were going. And uh, on twistier parts of the road, it was willing to dip in and, and give me power when I wanted it. Uh, one weird thing about the car, though, is it does not have paddle shifters. What the? Is, I know. This is a sport. I, I was going to say sedan. It's a sport liftback. But 
it expects you if you want to shift the gears by yourself you have to use the the shifter on the console and like tap it forward and back and that's not fun like it's not engaging yeah we've been i remember when paddle shifters first came out and everyone said they sucked and now we're so used to them that we kind of have to have them in a sporty car and the fact that the regal gs doesn't have them is kind of weird right no i hear you Uh, i completely agree with you that is that is unfortunate um, talk to me about this all-wheel drive system. Is it the same one that's in the regular uh, Buick Regal? Sport I, w- I think it's I think it's pretty much the same. It can you know send all the power to the front, to the rear as you need it. It's uh, I, I don't know how much more aggressively tuned it is, but I do know that this car has a sport button and a GS button, and okay. depending on which it allows you to access is different G- drive is modes. GS like what does GS stand for again? Well, I was I was getting to that, but. Okay. Um, if you use the sport button or the GS button, it affects how the all-wheel drive system uh, moves torque around. So mm. it, it sends it rearward, more of it rearward. Buick wasn't really into talking about how much of it goes rearward, but there's a slight bias towards the back wheels in GS mode and in sport mode. Okay. Um, and it also, 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 you get stiffer suspension. Is uh, it a, it's like a two-mode suspension setting? Sorry, I, I think you said that. I wasn't quite sure I picked it up. I, I don't remember how many modes because, strange as it might seem... When you hit sport and then you move to GS, sometimes the settings for the car stay the same. Like what? Yeah, so GS the sport and GS each have different transmission settings. So the how long the shifts are held and how quickly they happen, mm-hmm. those are different between regular mode, sport and GS. But the suspension, I think the suspension is also different for all three, but the the um all-wheel drive tuning for example, you go to sport, you go to GS, it's the same. It doesn't doesn't really affect it. So it, it's not an across-the-board kind of thing when you're in GS mode. You can access part of GS mode through sport mode. One of the things I, that bothered me about the regular Regal Sportback is that it didn't have a sport mode, and I wanted it to have a sport mode. Um, and this car has two? Like, what the heck? Well, the, you, uh, you, I mean, why wouldn't it have to? It's, it's the sportiest model, and it has a totally different drivetrain. I, I don't understand why you're surprised that the sporty version of the Regal... <laughs> Has a sport mode. Two sport modes. It it has too many sport modes. It's like they How, too many. If they got rid of one sport mode and added paddle shifters, I think that would have been simple. It's not a zero sum game. They don't have to remove a sport <laughs> mode to add paddle shifters. Um. Anyway, so yeah, uh, it's quick. It's fun to drive. It's really engaging. I'm gonna say something controversial. I think it's as engaging as the Audi S5 uh, Sportback which is the closest competitor when you look at power. So BMW makes the Grand Grand Coupe version of the 4 Series. They make a 340, or sorry, a 440. And that's about 320 horsepower, something like that, uh, versus the 310 and the Regal. The I believe the, a, the S5 Sportback is a super, sorry, not supercharged anymore. It's a turbocharged 3-liter V6. And I think that engine is putting out 330 horsepower, something around there. So... If you look at those three cars, very, very similar in terms of size, power, and handling. I think the edge to handling goes to the BMW. I think the edge to power on paper goes to the Audi. But putting it all together, the Buick is extremely close to those cars. And it's $15,000 cheaper than the S5. That is – that's awesome. Um, 
it's a pretty bold thing for you to say. I don't know if I agree with that. The, the German cars have come are, are very sporty. And one of the tough things that I would ever say is, I, would I ever get one of these instead of a Cadillac ATS, which is stiffer and smaller? The ATS is significantly smaller. It's a much, much smaller vehicle, and you don't have the sport back. I mean, this car has 60.7 cubic feet of cargo space. That's it. When you fold down the rear seats and you pop that hatch, that's as much as a midsize SUV. No exaggeration there. So you're looking at a car that is not only quick and fun to drive, but isn't all up on stilts like every SUV you see out there and still offers that amount of utility. Uh, and and it is a very attractive looking car as well. I will add that. Uh, I was in Europe um, recently. Uh, I just said Yeah, that. driving the R8, right? And like I did that. see the a couple of drive R8. I did see a couple of these um, Opel uh, insignias, which is what this car is is made uh, is basically built upon, and uh, they're they're very attractive and very popular in overseas markets. And it's a shame that I haven't seen as many of them in North America yet. Well, it's brand brand new. I mean, give it some time. I think Buick Buick is a very profitable brand for General Motors because they sell very well in other markets. And they actually do pretty well in the United States as well. Not, I think they're the third best brand, or maybe even second after GMC. I don't know, um, in terms of growth. But um, one other thing I wanted to say about the Regal GS is the letdown is in the interior when it comes to fit and finish. There's just mm. a little too much plastic. The seats are great. Uh, they massage. They're hot. They're cold. They, they are, the leather is nice. Um, but even on the seats at the top, there's this like kind of these fake plastic vents and on the doors, there's too much plastic. And that's where the car kind of lags behind BMW mm -hmm. and Audi. But in terms of dynamics, it's really not that far behind. Uh, and I know it's crazy to say that, but it's just, that's how I feel. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to driving this back to back with, um, the new Kia Stinger GT. And then as uh, well the with those other two, um, German cars. Uh, the the Stinger feels way bigger. Okay. Way bigger. I think it's quicker in a straight line, but uh, I don't know. I think Stinger might be a class above. I think that's a full size if you really want to start splitting it hairs, whereas the Buick is, is, is much more comfortably a midsize car. Interesting. Well, uh, I never felt that it was... Uh, I never felt the two cars had a huge disparity in, in terms of size, but... Um, and I, I, they definitely compete in each other's price bracket, I think. Um Actually, maybe not. Actually, the no, Kia the might be, is more the expensive. Kia, the Kia can start at a lower price, can't it? Well, I think that this the 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 price for the Buick it starts at thirty nine nine ninety five. Hmm. But in, that, in the US. see, in, in in and on the other hand, the the Kia can start lower, but that's a four cylinder model. Yeah, so you're not you you need to compare the Stinger GT to this car. Right. Okay. Because if you wanted like the regular Regal, you would just get the Sportback, which mm -hmm. is where the pricing would start. And and you know, luxury wise, I I don't know like. The Kia, I like the Kia a lot, but I, I really think they're a different market. The GT, you want, you think the GT with the all-wheel drive, right? Sure. Okay, that starts at forty thousand, forty thousand five hundred fifty dollars. Okay, so the, their pricing is the same. I think the Stinger is is a larger car. It just everything about it says cruiser, whereas the Regal GS isn't as much of a cruiser. I mean, you can cruise in it; it's comfortable and whatnot. You don't feel like you don't feel like an ATS, which does feel like an entry-level compact luxury car, mm -hmm. but um, you can when it gets to, when the road gets twisty, you don't feel the weight the same way that you do in the Stinger. There's definitely more cargo space in the uh, in the in the Buick, I believe. 
that's pretty impressive. That's sixty point seven G. It's huge. It's really nuts. It's it's thing. It's vehicles like this that are the biggest argument against SUVs, or mm-hmm. the argument against the idea that SUVs are the only ones that you want, the, the only cars that you could buy that um, are going to meet the needs of a family. You know what I mean? Because if you had two kids, a Regal GS is. You don't really need that third row, do you? I mean, I don't know. Even with the seats up, there's there's a huge amount of, of cargo space. So, again, it's it's something that I struggle with when I'm trying to understand why people buy SUVs. Marketing is a huge part of it, but uh, the GS is just it's like the antidote to SUVs, and it drives so so much better. Awesome. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to add uh, to our podcast before we actually. You drove another car, didn't you? I did drive another car, and it was an SUV. It was a Buick Envision. And, you know, I don't have a lot to say about the Envision because the vehicle came out a couple of years ago. Sammy and I actually went to the launch together. Yeah, we had a really good time there. Yeah, we we, we saw some cow carcasses in in (laughs) an abandoned house, and it was really weird. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, aside from that, the Envision has only been on the market for, like, 24 months. And... It's already the oldest car in the Buick lineup. Like every other Buick has been redesigned in the last year. So Buick was like, well, we got to do something about that. So they they refresh it, which means it has a different front end, different rear end, very marginally different. The interior, exactly the same. Uh, the, they gave it the nine-speed transmission that the Regal GS has. So you can get that with the two-liter turbo version of the vehicle, which also has 35 more pound-feet of torque. Bringing nice. It to, Whoa. Yeah. 295 pound-feet now, I believe. Did not skimp out on the on the torque in that car. Holy the cow. V, the, the regular, the regular uh, four-cylinder, the base model, is two and a half liters. Oh, yeah. They didn't change anything about it. Six-speed automatic. I've never seen one of those vehicles. I don't know if they're real or not. Exactly. It's, it's one of those on-paper type of cars. Um, but anyway... It's good. It's fine. It's comfortable. It's a relatively affordable premium type SUV, if this is what you want, if you feel like the GS just doesn't speak to you and you need to have that kind of uh, driving around up in the air kind of feeling, the turbo version of the Envision is really nothing to argue against. It's comfortable. It has the space you need. It's relatively affordable. And I think it's going to continue to do well. The biggest reason why Buick makes this vehicle not only does it sell well in China, but they have all these people who bought the Encore, the subcompact version of their crossover, which they were a leader in that field, by the way. No one was really making luxury tiny utes until Buick started it. But everyone who buys that and then has kids has to move out of an Encore because it's just not big enough. And they want them to move out into an Envision, and that's why they keep updating the Envision. Um, the the updates seem okay. I don't think the exterior – does the exterior look dated to you? You know, I kind of liked how it looked before. <laughs> I kind of think so too. Like, why? It's not... Why? Or I, I can't quite see it. It looks like it has a smaller grille, and they have this gorgeous grille design on their on their newer vehicles. It has that. I guess they call it wings. It's like a chrome wing that goes across the middle. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest change. Also, the wheels are different. I mean, you're not really going to notice the difference unless you park them side by side. Okay. It still looks like a Buick, you know. And uh, one interesting thing is. So the Regal GS has an automatic start-stop system for the engine. <laughs> that you can't, you can't turn on and You can't turn it off. Yeah. But the Envision has the on-off button. It's the what? first Buick to have Yes, it's the first Buick to have it, and you're going to see that button on every future Buick. It's well, coming. Uh, only Buicks? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for Every car on the market is going to follow the Envision's lead. That's so um, bizarre. I heard that was a, a mandate from Mark Royce to, to do that. 
um, and to put that no no avail no no button to turn off the start stop, just make every car capable of having it. <laughs> and uh, and they had to do that, but now apparently maybe the criticism has caught up to them. Um, ben, I want I have something really fun to talk to you about though. How fun? Wait, do I need to put on my? Never mind. How fun? <laughs> uh, it's a it's better you it's a but a U.S. patent application from uh, from Hyundai. Hyundai has patented a new sound system. And you might be surprised at how this works. Uh, Birdsong. No. The way it works is that it can hook up to other cars and uh, and make a sort of stereo sound system uh, for somebody um, standing outside the cars. So basically you can have your own like mobile speaker setup just made up of cars. Wait a minute. When you say... Hook up to other cars. Do you mean like any other car in the vicinity, like in Fast and Furious, where they just started driving all of those cars like from a satellite? No. And you can no, just take no. over, like the guy beside you, you can take over that stereo and start blasting like uh, Bed of Roses by Bon Jovi. Like I'm not just... sure. I'm not sure what. I, I'm imagining it's just Hyundai's, but the patent application has different kinds of Hyundai's. Uh, that one looks suspiciously like a Volt, so maybe. Um, what I will add is it basically suggests that, you know, if you're hanging out with your, your family or something, you, you meet together for a picnic, and you can just park the cars around you, and, uh, and you can sync them up to the same playlist and play them all in the, uh, all the speakers at the same time, which sounds like a great idea and maybe a way to kill your battery, but hey. So you're saying it's, it runs on Bluetooth? I think so. So I saw you sent me a picture. You, you just sent me a picture of this, and the image for the patent is it's like there's a person standing in the middle of a circle, and there's these cars ganged up in a circle around him, and it seriously looks like that person's about to get beaten down in some kind of gang ritual. It really does. I can't get over it. It looks so like, funny. No one parks like that. First of all, it like, looks really no one... intimidating. Like, how did anybody get in this in this parking position? It's so it's such a strange idea because not only do all of your friends have to have Hyundai's, yeah, <laughs> but they also have to have brand new Hyundai's, and they have to like the same music, <laughs> right? So like, what is this? This is totally one of those awesome PR. Wouldn't it be cool if this technology was possible? And then some engineers like, well, we could do it for thirty cents a vehicle, and then they're like, all right, that's that's our PR budget. We can afford that. And I don't know, it just. It's just strange. And it, can you do it while you're driving, or do the vehicles have to be stopped? I don't know. It looks like you have to be stopped. It, it honestly. Do you have to be hunting another human being, or can you can you do it for pleasure? I'm not joking. <laughs> the way you described it, actually, the way I told you is, it looks like they're like they're like riot enforcement or something. Just a group of people in the middle, and all of these cars just parked like really aggressively around them, like a perfect circle around them, just pumping music in their direction or sound in their direction, which is really I, I hate I hate to rain on Hyundai's parade, but there's already a technology that puts one song in every single car in the area, and that technology is called radio. <laughs> and it's been around for a really long time, and it's standard in every single vehicle on the oh, market. Oh, wow, that's, uh, that's mean. Maybe they forgot completely about AM and FM radio. Well, terrestrial radio is dead, but it doesn't mean it's it's not the zombie-like corpse isn't still lurking in the airwaves. <laughs> it just It's just strange. Like, I can see how it sounds like it could be fun, but, like, logistically, like, the idea of everyone having to have a Hyundai <laughs> I don't know like uh, I can't wait till it gets hacked and people are just like transmitting crazy messages to each other in traffic <laughs> in like parking that. lots and just, yeah 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 or or until they start sending advertisements through it Aww. when they start monetizing it 
Or when it becomes a, an Alexa type thing and like you can like use someone else's Alexa to order them toilet paper or whatever it is people do with automated homes. <laughs> That's what you think I, they do? I don't know what they, they do. They Alexa for toilet paper? My home is 100 years old. In Canada, we don't have smart homes. It's just not a thing. <laughs> well, they're smart enough they won't, the pipes won't freeze and burst. Right? Well, yeah, it's, it's smart enough that I have a roof over my head. <laughs> but like, go. I mean, I'm smart for living in the home. Let's, let's put it that way. Excellent. Um, I think that wraps up this week's podcast. Um, before we go, do you want to talk about uh, what we're gonna what we're gonna what we're gonna bring up on the next podcast? What are you What do you got there? Well, um, next week, I'm going to be talking about two very special Cadillacs. They no, are hold both. Up. You went from driving two G two other Buick products to driving two other like Cadillac products. What do you mean you're other? Just, Why do you just, say other? You're just driving like all of GM's like premium vehicle lineup now? How dare I sample the breadth of GM's <laughs> vast and wide lineup? Is it the exact same cars that you drove but with a different badge? No, no, not at all. In fact, they're both the flag. I would argue that one is the wannabe flagship and one is the flagship of Cadillac. The the Cadillac CT6 full-size sedan and the Cadillac Escalade. Okay, those are two really funky cars. And I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on both of them. Um, I have... I have a much more niche uh, lineup of vehicles that I, uh, I'm going to bring to the podcast next week. I have a Maserati Levante and a Maserati Quattroporte. Uh, I was on Ooh. a recent uh, drive in, in the Italian side of the Alps, and we got to drive them in some snow as well, so that was fun. Do they not have Maseratis in North America, Sammy? Like, why did you have to go all the way to Italy to drive these Maseratis? Ben, I don't know. But you sound like my parents every time I tell them that I have to go somewhere to uh, to drive something. Why can't you just stay home and help your mother? She needs <laughs> her help. She sent you an email. She would like you to RSVP. Mom, if you're listening to this, I love you and I'll help as much as I can. But I've got work to do, too. It's true. He does love you. He talks about it all the time. <laughs> But for everyone else, if you want to get in touch with me, don't do it through email like my mom. That's only for her, man. Just get to, get in touch with me on Twitter. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha. And if you don't like my – if you don't need my help, you need Ben's help, you can get in touch with him at Hunting Benjamin. And Ben, if they want to get in touch with um, us both together, we have a Facebook page. That's we do. I, I just want to point out, oh. though, if you do want to, e- if you do want to email Sammy, you can do so at GodsmackNumberOneFan at gmail.com. <laughs> That's not me. I keep telling you, stop sending all your important <laughs> documents to that email. Stop replying, and maybe I will. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook at Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Just type it into the Facebook abyss, and we appear there. You can also find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, where we have pictures and links to reviews we've written of the vehicles that we're talking about. And you can also go back in time and listen to all the other fun stuff that we've got to drive and all the other weird opinions and ideas that we've had the chance to explore with each other in this very unique medium. And you can also refer back to us when we uh, refer back to when we mentioned the Porsche honeybees and the Audi honey that is also going on over there. Just type like bees, I guess, into <laughs> into this our search and our parameters, and you'll find all our b-related podcasts it's surprisingly surprise. high number of b-related podcasts uh, and uh with that i guess we'll buzz off um thank wow. you for listening and goodbye <laughs>